0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Conversations at the Springs, where we have another podcast episode coming for you guys. My name is Taylor. I get to be the senior pastor here at the Springs. I just want to say how excited we are to have you guys tuning in with us, whether you're from here, uh, local, around town, or if you're from somewhere else and you're a part of our online community, we're really excited to have you. And I have a really awesome guest with me today that's going to be talking about some really cool stuff, and I'll let him introduce himself in just a moment. But if you're watching with us online, you probably noticed this beautiful green and gold colors that Help I have him on today. Jesus.
1: Help him, Jesus.
0: <laughs> and so the first the first question I want to get to today is how do you feel about the renaming of
1: AT&T Stadium to the Love Shack? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, testing one, two, three. I, I thought this was a holy conversation. Okay. He just took it into the pits oh, yeah. right there. Oh man. So we are on the backside of the Packers, you
0: know, historic win over Dallas historic. in the playoffs. But I won't, I won't talk about that. I won't talk about that
1: anymore. How was that historic?
0: Um, what you, it was the first seven seed to ever win a, a wild card oh,
1: game. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Big time it. Yeah. Thanks, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it's okay. We're all in recovery from something. Some of us from being Cowboys fans, you know. <laughs> All right. I'm going to let my my guest, I'm going to let Dr. David Calhoun introduce himself now. We'll get serious about today.
1: All right. Yeah, let's get serious because uh, where we (laughs) were was not where we need to go, okay? (laughs) Uh, But my name is David Calhoun, and uh, I have been pastor here at the Springs a couple of times. Uh, I was here 1992 to 2000. Um, In fact, that's kind of the later years when Celebrate Recovery was just getting started, and then I came back in uh, 2019 and was a senior pastor here for four years, and then Taylor came in, and had I known he was going to dress like this, that never would have happened. <laughs> um, but uh, why I didn't tell you until I got yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a professor at Lindsay Wilson College in the uh, Christian Ministries program there, and still on staff here part-time as a teaching pastor. So I'm real excited about being uh, with you tonight for this podcast and uh, talking about Celebrate Recovery. But I want to kind of introduce myself, Taylor, at, in Celebrate Recovery style. Yeah. Because we have a specific way of introducing ourselves at CR, and so I'm just going to give that now. Is, uh, Hi, my name is David. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who is celebrating recovery tonight from being an NEO addict. An inio addict so I know you keep up with
0: like the language of the day is NEO like something new? I'm not familiar with
1: NEO. Oh, you're not? No. Okay, well, it just simply means NEO addiction will do, you know, (laughs) just whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, Uh, and that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, that's just how we do it and celebrate recovery because we believe everyone needs recovery from something. And so, um, That's kind of where we are, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Welcome to the very first season of Conversations at the Springs. We are here to dive into meaningful conversations that matter. We exist to love like Jesus, taking hope across the street and around the world. In each episode, we will
0: explore a variety of topics. Join us on this journey as we engage in open, honest, and compassionate dialogue seeking to inspire and connect with you. Let's embark on a conversation that goes beyond the surface where faith meets the real challenges of life. Let's talk about it because every topic is an opportunity to
1: grow together.
0: So that's, that's such
1: an interesting concept. Tell me more about NEO Addict. NEO Addict. Well, uh, there's a story behind that. Uh, back at um, uh, in Lexington at Hope Springs Church, which you're well familiar with, mm-hmm. When we were starting celebrate recovery there at the church i left russell springs in 2000 to go plant in lexington um, one of the leaders in celebrate recovery or one of the persons really interested in celebrate recovery was also uh, on the staff at a local rehab center there in lexington uh, the late lee leonard she was a, a just a, a great leader and uh, uh, she would bring the women from her program up to celebrate recovery and uh, uh, they would meet there during the week, you know, at the church and things like that. But uh, she would introduce herself that way. She would just say, Hi, I'm an NEO addict. And people would ask, What are you talking about? Say, so, you know, well, NEO addiction will do. You know, and I think that uh, really um, does kind of speak to what we're talking about tonight uh, is that Celebrate Recovery, which we're going to begin here in just a couple of weeks. Well, actually, uh, January 28th will be the first night uh, back at Celebrate Recovery here at the Springs. Uh, But the reality that everyone does need recovery. We're all Mm -hmm. broken, just in different places. And uh, so, you know, that was kind of uh, where that NEO addict came from. I will tell you uh, the the best part of Lee Leonard's story. When she first started coming, she was in recovery, and she was working, but she wasn't a follower of Christ. And she got involved in CR and uh, was really liking it. And and, uh, I took a group of leaders out to the— Celebrate Recovery Summit at Saddleback Church in Lake Forest, California, Uh, and and one afternoon, during a little break, Lee walks over and says, um, hey, um, I want to give my life to Christ. I want Him to be my higher power. And so we went over and literally knelt down in the grass and the lawn of Saddleback Church in California, and uh, she prayed to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior. And so... uh, it, it was a great day, great moment. But that's kind of what Celebrate Recovery is about. You know, we uh, we see Jesus Christ as our higher, our highest, ultimate highest power, uh, the one who can truly restore us and give us hope and healing from life's hurts, habits, and hangups. Absolutely. And it reminds me of something I've heard you say a lot, too, in the past. Like, for example,
0: <laughs> it wouldn't be that me, I don't have a drug problem or an alcohol problem or a sex problem or, or any an eating problem. I have a Taylor problem. Right, I right. I have a personal problem sin problem within me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, I I spent a few years in my early 20s closing down every bar in Lexington, you know, uh, given the opportunity and uh, was definitely on a road to some pretty major addiction and major problems. There's been kind of a history of addiction at uh, some others in my family history. Um, But yeah, I was making bad choices and uh, it wasn't until I quit drinking You know, once I put the bottle away and started working on my recovery, I found out I really didn't have a drinking problem. I had a me problem. Mm. And alcohol Mm. was just the self-medication to cover the hurts and the habits and the hangups in me. And so that's really at the heart of of what recovery is about. It's not about just getting rid of uh, drinking or getting rid of drugs. Or Like you said, the I mean, there's so many addictions. You know, people are addicted in so many different ways anymore. Uh, you know, people can be addicted to shopping, to, you know, like you said, uh, food addictions, eating. Pornography is a huge addiction. Absolutely. Uh, I'm a part of a—or I follow a group online and get emails from all the time, a group called Fight the New Drug. Mm. And it's all about pornography as a drug, you know, as a, a addictive substance. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we see it, and it's just amazing how— crazy that uh, has taken off in our culture. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So how, I, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead of the notes. I don't want to derail us, but I'm I'm just so curious from your perspective, you've been running Celebrate Recovery in churches for years, for Mm -hmm. decades. How thankful are you that Celebrate Recovery came because has it opened people's eyes to those addictive tendencies outside of drugs and alcohol? Like AA and NA are great programs. They're very specific on what your problem can yeah. be. Yeah, But Celebrate Recovery says we all have problems.
1: Right, right. And we
0: all need this, you know, reco- so how have you seen that work
1: in the church? Well, um, and Celebrate Recovery itself, um, and this number is from years back, I don't know if it's still accurate or not, but at one point in time, there was only about a third of people who were attending Celebrate recoveries that were there for substance abuse. mm You know, again, all these other issues. I I can't tell you how many people I've seen that have gone to celebrate recovery over the years and said, Well, I'm going for my husband or I'm going for my daughter or, you know, whatever. I'm going to go for someone else and help them through their time because they had a substance abuse problem. And then after about six weeks, they're going, Oh, wow, (laughs) I need this too. You know, because uh, again, we're all broken. We're all, um, um, you know, really hurting in different places. And, and recovery, the Celebrate Recovery process, you know, it, it, it works from the 12 steps of AA mm-hmm. um, and the eight principles of Celebrate Recovery, um, but it is a spiritual journey, Yeah. You know, and, and and the ultimate goal is to find a transformation of life through a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. It's a Christ-centered recovery program, um, and I say program, but it's more a, of a lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People say, Well, I yeah, I completed CR back in so and so. Well, I, I've never completed it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every morning I'm praying, you know, those principles in my life because I know each day is a, a day of of living into the freedom of recovery that is offered in Jesus Christ.
0: Absolutely. Is yeah. it the is it the step ten uh passage in Corinthians it says be careful if you're standing firm that you don't fall?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and so
0: it is that daily, daily yeah. type of thing. And it, I think the thing that's, that's impressed me the most about Celebrate Recovery and and what I've seen in in my own experience in working the steps through CR and what I've seen it in the way that it impacts churches. And I've heard you say Celebrate Recovery is an incredible discipling tool. Absolutely, because I think Celebrate Recovery we come from a Wesleyan understanding of of Christianity. And so we're big on holiness and holiness just being we expect ourselves to look more and more like Jesus in the way that we live our lives and every single day. And I think that's something that's embedded in Celebrate Recovery that mm-hmm. we don't really talk about as much is that it's, yes, it's this pursuit of recovery, but it leads us into discipleship and holiness as much as anything.
1: Absolutely. When you, when you look at the various kind of um, discipleship tools and processes that are out there, uh, Celebrate Recovery checks all the boxes. You know, you go in. First of all, you have the Word of God. You have a teaching or a testimony every week. Uh, you have an opportunity to go into open share groups where you talk about your issues, what's going on in your life, and uh, out of the, that sharing, you'll you'll develop relationships uh, with accountability partners. Um, you'll find a sponsor or a discipler, yep. if you'd like to use that term. Yep. You know, and and the goal is that through the step study, which is something beyond the weekly meeting, you go through the step study and you it produces leaders. It's a leadership factory. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's discipling you to be a disciple maker. And I I honestly, Taylor, I don't know of a more effective discipling tool than what I've seen in Celebrate Recovery. And I've just seen lives transformed. And and people who truly understand that the very last principle is I'm going to give back. Yeah, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna yield myself to be used to take this good news to others. Absolutely. Know? And uh, it's it's a discipling tool, just like you said. It's a model of discipleship. Mm. Yeah. And it brings about
0: such 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 transformational change. Like um so so I was raised in the church. I've been in the church my entire life. Um, and I've seen people experience God and go through, like, the normal church rhythms of church on Sunday, church on Wednesday, all of that kind of stuff, and, like, experience some life change. Um, but I had I had a guy tell me when I was actually at Hope Springs, is that when I was an intern, he told me that if you ever help someone who understands that they're an addict, an addict to anything, if you ever help someone like that get their life back, they will do anything for you. Like, the amount of gratitude to know, like, I have a second chance at life. I think that's the the freedom and life of abundance <clears throat> that Jesus w- was talking about when he said mm-hmm. I come to give them yeah. this. It was that type of rescue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned uh gratitude, uh the two spiritual qualities, the stu- the two fruits of the spirit that I see that are indispensable in a recovery issue if you're going to truly recover um it, are is gratitude and humility. Mm. You know, whenever I see someone that I'm working with in recovery, and they lose their gratitude or they're they're not humble in in their approach, then I know they're they're headed for a fall. They're they're headed. You know, pride goes before a fall. Scripture tells us. And uh, you know, I've had some people. I can remember a real good friend of mine who um, had literally come off the streets because you could get a free meal at Celebrate Recovery on Friday night, and he just came for a hamburger. Uh, And he had a really broken life, and he was living in a homeless shelter with the Veterans Administration. He'd been in the Army um, and just had a, you know, been to college, graduated, practicing law, all these kind of things, and had been disbarred because of his addiction. And uh, he comes to CR, and six months later, you know, his life is being transformed. But I remember him coming to me one night several months later and going, you know, this, these people are coming or doing this and saying that. And, yeah. and I, I just think we need to, you know, and he was going on and I stopped. I said, Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I said, That was you six months ago. Yeah. It's exactly what you were telling me six months ago. And now you're not tolerating it. You're not, I said, You've lost your gratitude, brother. You better Ooh. you better find that gratitude and that humility or you're going to go back into the, the, the lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully, you know, and he did, you know, he's stuck around and got things, but those two qualities, being thankful for how we got to where we are and how much God loves us and how he came to find us in the midst of our brokenness, you know, and and the humility to know that I can't do it on my own. I can't do it without him. You know, if we lose those two qualities, then we're going to lose our recovery. You know, it's going to happen. Oof. That's good. and there's so many things, uh, you know. We were talking about all the different ways people are addicted, you know. And uh, uh, most people go through life. Uh, in fact, I've got this book here that um, I, I really treasure. This book. It's called Addiction and Grace by Doctor Gerald G. May, the the late Doctor May. He was a, a psychiatrist and uh, you know a, a therapist, and 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 did a lot of study in theology. And his book, Addiction and Grace, Love and Spirituality and the Healing of Addictions, really just is a helpful tool for understanding addiction and the spiritual nature of recovery. And so uh, uh, he, um, he, he says, basically, we're all addicted to something. You know, uh, he says it's, it's not—in uh, fact, I think I've got a quote here from the book. Let me see. He says, yeah, we are all addicts in every sense of the word. Moreover, our addictions are our own worst enemies. They enslave us with chains that are of our own making, and yet that paradoxically are virtually beyond our control. Addiction also makes idolaters of us all Mm. because it forces us to worship these objects of attachment, thereby preventing us from truly, freely loving God and one another. It is the absolute enemy of human freedom, the antipathy of love. I mean, he—he he really uh, this book. He, he's even got a, a chapter in here on the neurology of addiction, and I'm—I'm I'm not a neurologist. Uh, you know, we didn't have that class in seminary, so I really don't understand a lot of what he's talking about. But but the point he's making is that our our brains will actually wire themselves. To crave certain behaviors or certain, you know, like drinking or or drugs or or pornography. That that what happens is we find these these uh, actions that you know we try to hide behind hide our feelings and try to feel better, and they make us feel better. And then the more we do that to feel better, our brain will actually wire itself to where that becomes a, an obsession. Yeah, something we have to have. Yeah. You know, and that's an addiction. Yeah. You know? And he says there's so many addictions. It's crazy. I don't know if you saw this or not, Taylor, but uh, just this past week, uh, there was an article about Steve Jobs. You know, uh, I haven't seen it. Uh, and, and it came out in Fortune magazine. Okay. okay. And the title of the article said Steve Jobs thought devices would become a bicycle for the mind, Jeez. but their effect on our brains is similar to that of smoking and junk food. And then here's the first paragraph of this article. And again, it's Fortune Magazine. You can find it online. I highly recommend you read it. It says, It's been 33 years since Steve Jobs talked about the personal computer becoming a bicycle for the mind. In those years, the advent of the smartphone and the mass adoption of social media have turned those bicycles into runaway trains, <laughs> I mean he says Americans spend more than four hours a day on their smartphones, and more than half say they are ad- addicted to their device yep. I mean there's just no limit to what addiction um can do. in fact, you and I were talking this week you know about uh, addiction being a sin mm-hmm. yeah uh, but I think the real Way to say it is sin is an addiction. Yeah, sin is an addiction. Let me uh, quote somebody really famous. Okay, uh, and see what you think about this quote. And all you out there, see if you can guess who it is. A really famous person said, uh, "I do not understand what I do mm. for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is." It's no longer I myself who who is doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. And he goes on down to the end and said, for in my inner being, I delight in God's way. But I see another law working it in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now, if we're real honest, every one of us have had these moments. It's our quote. Yeah. Where yeah. we're something that that we don't want to do, mm-hmm. we keep doing. I mean, how many times have you prayed, I'm never going to do that again? Yep. God, I promise I won't ever do that again. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's 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 common to the human experience. Yeah. We do things we don't want to do. And the problem is the more we do those things, the more attached we become to them. Mm-hmm. And as I said, neurologically our brain begins to crave them as Almost like food and water. You know, yep. we've got to have that. And uh, and, and by the way, do you know who the quote was from? Apostle Paul. The right? Apostle Paul. There yeah, you go. Pretty very famous good. guy. Yeah, that was from Romans chapter 7. Uh, go read that chapter, but make sure you read it all the way one more verse than what I read. <clears throat> because it says, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God mm. who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. You know, that whole chapter is about Paul talking about his own struggles. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people explain to me, oh, well, that's just metaphorical. He's just trying to use it as an illustration. And I'm like, okay, where does it say that? Yep. <laughs> Anywhere in there does it does it say that? No. Paul's being really honest. I mean, if you look at Paul's life, he struggled with his temper, he struggled with wanting to argue with people all the time and yep. you know, he'd get angry and all kinds of I don't know what all his issues were. Mm-hmm. But he certainly had some. And here he's saying, man, I just keep doing the thing I don't want to do. Yeah. But thanks be to God, because he found freedom. And, and that's what he expresses through the rest of the book.
0: And it's so encouraging to know that, I mean, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. From what we yeah. you know know of the you know of the New Testament, books. absolutely. And so, someone who was experiencing that type of struggle, like being in the midst of any addiction that you find yourself in, like you've been in that scenario over and over and over again, of saying, "God, I want something different. I'll never do that again." I don't know why I keep doing this, but I keep doing this. And God used that man going through that struggle yeah. to write the majority of the New right. Testament scriptures. Right? Like what a what a what a, a glimmer of hope mm-hmm. for those of us who are. Still in the depths to hold on to that, that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the hope that we have access to.
1: And and of course, he didn't do it on his own. Yep. He had his own little recovery team. Absolutely. He had Barnabas, Barnabas that poured into Paul. Yeah. Silas that walked alongside him. Yeah. Timothy, you know, others, Luke, people who were on his team. You know, he didn't try to do it alone. Yeah. He was in connection and accountability with others who were following that same trail. And so wow. I, I think, you know, the, the, the main thing is for all of us to realize we have issues we can't fix. Yep. You know, there, there are struggles in my life I cannot overcome. And you know what? I, how I know that? Because I've tried, you know, <laughs> yeah. many times and it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so I can keep trying and keep yeah. failing and keep going deeper into the hole. Mm-hmm. What was it, the quote that our good friend Mike Humpston gave you about uh, the whole you know, you're oh yeah, the
0: best way to so you'll hear people in recovery all the time talk about hitting your bottom. You got to hit your bottom to come back to the top. And uh, Mike told me one day he said, "Taylor, you know the best way to hit your bottom is to stop digging. <laughs> Just drop stop the, digging that. Hole. Drop
1: the shovel. Yeah. Yep. And and that's what I hope that you hear in this podcast in this conversation is that the fact that you struggle. Guess what? You're not alone. Everybody does. Yeah. Now we some do a better job of hiding them than others, mm-hmm. but we all struggle. You know, we all struggle. And we're going to continue to dig that hole until we stop digging and just drop the shovel and say, God, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready for something new, something different. Absolutely. And uh, start that road to recovery.
0: Hey, everybody. My name's Taylor Evans. I get to be the senior pastor here at The Springs. And I just wanted to take a second to invite you all to be a part of the Springs. If you don't have a church home, we have service every Sunday at 10 o'clock. We also have our Celebrate Recovery meeting on Sunday evening, starting at 515, and we do our children and youth activities on Wednesday nights. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that. Or if you're not in our local area, we'd love to have you be a part of our online community. We have several people that worship with us uh, through our online services, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've enjoyed some of the ministries of our church, I want to invite you all to our website, thespringsky.com. Where you can give to support not only this, but all of the ministries and all that God is doing through the Springs. And that's the beautiful thing about Celebrate Recovery is that I think in, in, in the American church, at least, in our individualism, some of us have sins that aren't quite as public. Right. And they get swept under the rug, right. whereas right. drugs and alcohol are very public. You can't yeah. hide those addictions. But in yeah. Celebrate Recovery, we say like, hey, we're all broken. We all have this road to recovery to be walking, Absolutely. this road to following God better than we did you know, yesterday. Um, and so I think it, it, it really makes the church look more like the kingdom Absolutely. when we acknowledge how wide our struggles really are.
1: Yeah. Well, I experienced that, Taylor, the first time I ever walked into a Celebrate Recovery. Uh, You know, Celebrate Recovery started at uh, Saddleback Church where Rick Warren founded that church, was the church planner and uh, pastor for years, just recently retired. And uh, John Baker, who the late John Baker, he died a year or so ago, I can't remember exactly when, um, uh, that John Baker is one that started Celebrate Recovery in conversation with Rick Warren. Yeah. Uh, In fact, this is back in 1991. And uh, John Baker is going to Sunday school, men's Sunday school class, and he's also going to his AA meetings on Tuesday nights or whenever because he's he's an alcoholic. And he said the the, the tension that he felt, mm. he, he wasn't really free at his AA meetings to talk about his faith in Christ. Yeah. You know, they yeah. weren't real open to that. They didn't want, you know, uh, which is a whole nother story that we'll talk about here in a minute because that wasn't always the case yeah. uh, in 12-step recovery. Uh, but he was having a real hard time uh, talking about that. And then in his Sunday school class, he felt like he couldn't talk about his addiction, about his alcoholism. So he sat down, and he wrote a letter to Rick Warren, 13 pages, uh, with this idea of a Christian-based recovery program. Yeah. And Rick Warren said, this is a great idea. You're in charge. <laughs> so... so uh, John Baker started Celebrate Recovery back then. I think they probably had 20, 30 people at their very first meeting. Yeah. Well, I was out there once for a purpose-driven church conference with some other pastors, and um, uh, and, and my the conference ended on a Friday afternoon. My flight didn't leave until Saturday morning, so I had Friday night free. And Rick Warren said, hey, if any of you uh, would like to check out what Celebrate Recovery is, it meets on a Friday night, so you're welcome to come out and see what that's about, because it hadn't been anything about CR in the conference. So I thought, well, okay, I'll do that. So I go back to my hotel, and get some supper, and then I get back on the bus and head out to uh, Saddleback Church. And I walked in just a few minutes after CR had started. Yeah. And I walk into this sanctuary, and there's a thousand people in there. And everybody in the room, the worship team up front, the people who are speaking, are all people in recovery. Yeah. And man, it was such an atmosphere that I just, I mean, I literally started weeping. Mm. And I really sensed God speaking to my spirit and saying, this is it, David. I mean, I'd kind of, I'd been on my road to recovery, you know, yeah. uh, hadn't been involved in 12-step recovery at all, or but I'd been to counseling for depression and dealing with uh, hurts from childhood, you know, my own addictive behaviors. I'd been on a road for recovery for some time. Um, But man, I'd never been in anything like this. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit just said, this is it. This is why I saved you. This is what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing. Wow. And uh, man, I was home. I I knew, and, and, and not just home for because of my recovery, but I was like, man, this is what church was meant to be. Yeah. This is what it's meant to be where people can come and bring their brokenness and bring it right out in the open. And find the healing and hope that comes through Jesus Christ for those addictions and those hurts, habits, and hangups, whatever they may be. Yeah. You know, like I said, addiction is not a sin. Sin's an addiction. And we all have that sin. You know, in fact, it tells us that if we say we're without sin, what's it say? We're a liar. Yeah. And the truth doesn't live in us. That's what it says in Scripture. And so, you know, really just admitting that. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness comes from confessing your sin to Christ. He died on the cross. Your sins are all forgiven. Mm-hmm. But healing for your sins, in James 5, 16, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. And, boy, that's that's what's missing. Forgiveness is great. Yeah. But if we don't do something about our desires, our the attachments, the things that we long for, obsess over, if we don't find some healing from that, it's going to be a long road. It is. And I think that yeah. brings it home, you
0: know, for anyone who thinks like recovery doesn't apply to me or like, you know, you're not as familiar with these terms in our normal like church languages. This is th- that principle is what connects the two. We so often stop at the moment of salvation yeah. and never move beyond it. We never right. talk about the road of discipleship that we walk after that and celebrate recovery right out blatantly, you know, in front of everybody says like, hey, we're going to walk this road for the rest of of your time, choosing to be clean or sober from whatever it is that you're struggling with. Yeah, that may have brought you in the door, but now like the real work of living that life, of working that recovery begins. And I think we miss that in American Christianity. I can't oh, yeah. say in world Christianity, but definitely in American Christianity, we miss that walking the road together with others.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that was the focus of my entire research and my uh, doctoral work that I did, my, yeah. my doctor of ministry is studying the disconnect that exists between the church and the recovery community. How did that even happen? I mean, there are 20 million people a week, Taylor, who are going to 12 step meetings looking for a spiritual answer to their problem and the church isn't involved. How did, how did we miss that? You know, I mean, it's kind of crazy because uh, the quote, um, Rick Warren again and he was quoting I think William Bennett who was the Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan mm. back in the 80s and that is spiritual problems are remarkably resistant to non-spiritual solutions. That'll preach. You know, and we try to we try to fix ourselves in so many different ways. Yeah. But it's a spiritual disease, it's a spiritual problem. I understand how medication can help somebody that's dealing with math and things like that, but Ultimately, healing comes spiritually. absolutely. and that was the the foundation of twelve steps. you know um, Part of what I, I did in my research was go back and study the beginning of AA and the 12 steps and where they all came from and and, and part of the thing that uh, we're kind of confused about in this day and age is um, you know we, we think, well, people are saying higher power, they're not really looking for Jesus. or on the other side of things, if you're in AA you're saying, Well, it's just higher power. You can't come tell us there's only one Savior, you know, one Lord, you know, those kind of things. And it's a total misunderstanding. You know, when Bill W. uh, was first getting sober from alcohol and and they started to work on this recovery, the higher power thing was just, okay, fine, start wherever you need to start, but just put the bottle down. Yeah. You know, if you don't stop drinking, if you don't get sober, you're not ever going to well, you know, yeah. get healed. So just, yeah, fine. Just stop. Whatever higher power you want, that's great. But there was always the expectation that as they walked this road to recovery, they would come face to face with the living God. Yeah. And uh, somewhere along the line, but and, and the fault lies on both ends mm-hmm. from how the church dealt with it to how the recovery community dealt with it. You know, we, we just lost that middle ground where, um, you know, it was just amazing to me how few churches really had any engagement at all with people struggling with addiction. Yep. Yeah. Outside of hosting a meeting
0: in the basement. Like, I know that's the stereotypical, yeah. like, you take a different On a Thursday entrance. night when
1: nobody else is there. Yeah. yeah. You can't come in the front door. Yeah. You got to
0: walk around the back, you know, yeah. and that's just...
1: I actually, uh, w- one of the pastors I interviewed when w- I was doing my research, because I did, I, I I actually lived in Lexington at the time, and I did a a sample of churches within what I call the urban core. That's everything inside New Circle Road. If you've ever Mm -hmm. been to Lexington, you know, that's the city. And so I I interviewed church after church after church, just random, you know, um, anonymous calls. And I would kind of make myself sound like I was maybe in need of help. You know, I didn't didn't get them on the phone and go, hey, I'm a drug addict or I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) But, you know, somebody would answer the phone of the church I would call and I would say, uh, uh yeah um you know I'm just curious I'm I'm looking for a church maybe do y'all have any kind of a recovery uh, ministry or anything going on for people who maybe are struggling with addiction you know I made it sound like I very well could be the candidate yeah or I'm calling on somebody else's behalf and honestly I didn't find a single church that could answer my problem wow now there were some that had an AA group that met on a Thursday night. You know, I had another one that said, "Oh, well, you need to talk to someone in our counseling, our lay counseling program. Uh, what's your name and phone number?" Well, that's the last thing I'm going to give them when I'm just trying to find somebody to help me. You know? Yeah, yeah, give me your name and phone number, and I have them call you back. Well, I, that never happened. You know? Yeah, uh, but just so few churches. Now, this was, you know, this is 20, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and, and and there, I know there are a lot more now who are engaged in ministries like celebrate recovery and that celebrate recovery has been a huge you know gift to the church of yeah. the 21st century and and it's happening all over the world you know we go to the Dominican Republic and we're doing celebrate recovery in prisons down there and went from 25 our first year about 8 years ago to now there are six, over 6000 in 14 prisons that have been through the CR inside program wow uh, just last week Forty baptisms in one prison of people who are going through this recovery pro- program, this process. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's just the disconnect is baffling. You know how that ever happened? I had one church like I started to say, and the pastor told me said, "Oh, well, we have a uh, NA group that meets here," and sometimes I'll go and stand outside the door to listen, uh, just because I like hearing what they're talking about. And I said, "Well." Why don't you just go in and sit down at the meeting? Oh, well, I couldn't do that because they want to be anonymous. <laughs> I'm like, no. Oh, you know, wow. I mean, you know, but that was the pastor of the church. Oh. And if the pastor doesn't embrace a a, a spirit of recovery yeah. and, and be willing to champion that within the congregation, you know, it's not going to happen. Absolutely. And I think, too, like, it, this all
0: flows out of the identity of the Father right? Um, I, I keep thinking about the story of the prodigal son. The moment the prodigal son decided that he wanted to return home, it was never like, okay, I'll let you return as a servant. But the father immediately started doing everything in his power to fully restore his identity. And so to think that our father, our good heavenly father would not be in the middle of his lost and broken children trying to find their way back home is just us not knowing the Father. Yeah. Right? Like, he would be all over in the middle of all of those AA and NA meetings. Like, yeah. that's where he wants to be because those are his kids trying to come back home. And so the church, they did. They missed it. Yeah. They completely missed it for a lot of years. And yeah. I'm thankful we're trying to make up some of that ground
1: now. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would go to NA meetings or AA meetings, and we encourage people leadership and CR to stay active in those meetings, because we want to build those bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to help people find, you know, uh, that they're welcome at Celebrate Recovery, just like we're welcome at, at AA or whatever it is, and to build those connections, you know, um, and and that's part of it. You know, without those connections, without being open and inviting people into your life, we're not going to see the change that we need to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, you know, Taylor, you mentioned uh, being at Hope Springs. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. what was it like? I'm just, maybe some who are listening for you the first time yeah. that you come into, now I know we had talked quite a bit about it at Lindsay Wilson. You had way more classes of mine than you should have been required to take, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you certainly had heard about CR. Yeah. But when you came to do that internship and you actually started going to Celebrate Recovery, yeah, uh, what was your experience like as a first timer?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it was, uh...
0: It was was unlike any experience I had had in the church. And so a little bit of my background, my dad um, is a recovering alcoholic. My brother's a recovering drug addict. Uh, My mom and I both struggle with a slew of uh, mental health uh, things. And so my family has been very broken for a very long time. uh, And we wore masks well when we went to church. Um, my dad, I remember this this very vividly. My dad one Sunday we were attending a Baptist Church in Winchester where I grew up, and uh he broke out in sweats and told us that he was having an anxiety attack um This was at the beginning of his uh addiction setting in, and looking back, my mom and I now know he was uh going through withdrawals in the middle of service, and we had to leave um but we painted a very nice picture of you know, oh well, he's stressed at work, and you know there are these things, and like we we upheld an image very well in the church. We upheld an image really, really well. Uh, So much so that uh, I I actually came to Lindsay Wilson and I came to Hope Springs um, pretty bitter at the church and and not fully convinced she could actually make any difference in the world because she hadn't really made much of a difference in my family. And then I walk in Hope Springs and I saw a bunch of my dads walking around that were free, that had walked that life, that had lost their families, that have rebuilt their lives Um, and and for the first time, it really clicked in my mind that God is a God of redemption and God's a God of restoration. And God is a God that not only could change my family, but he could change all of the messed up things that were in my life uh, because of the life that I was living and the way that I was upholding all of these things and all the struggles uh, that I had. And so it was really strange to walk into a church and be completely vulnerable and be completely seen and that that be completely okay. Um, And that just kind of be the expectation of that. And so. yeah. Naming like sin struggles in front of an entire congregation was really interesting, um, but it was it, it changed my life and it saved my ministry. Yeah. I don't know that I would be I, I don't think I would still be in the ministry had I not worked the 12 steps to celebrate recovery and God transformed my life through uh, that. And wow. all that started with me just seeing his kids that were struggling just like me and in different ways than me. Yeah. Actually being free.
1: From the work of the local church. Wow, that's awesome. That's a great testimony. And by the way, let me clarify one thing. Taylor said you don't have to stand up in front of the church. No, 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 no. Just when you're, your yeah, things. just when you're in leadership. So I was, I was an intern. I was on staff, so I had to start <laughs> CR meetings. You yeah. don't have to do that when you first walk through the door. Yeah, you can maintain yeah, moral your anonymity. inventory. You share that with someone you trust. You don't have to announce it on the podcast. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that was
0: that was another really really interesting experience um when i when i took my my fourth step when i did my moral inventory and then i sat down with mike for my fifth step yeah and i read like every horrible thing i'd ever done in my entire life yeah and at the end he looked at me and he just said like god loves you and you're forgiven from these things yeah now we also went on to talk about character defects and ways that we were going to you know move on from some of these things but just knowing that everything in my life that i had worked so hard to hide was mm-hmm. out in the open and I was now being affirmed that oh, yeah. God still loved me. I mean that I'll never forget that experience at his kitchen table eating Hooters takeout wings. That was his <laughs> his choice in fried pickles. Um, but I mean that was that was everything. Yeah. Well,
1: You know I I had the very same experience growing up, uh, Taylor. We had plenty of family secrets. Yeah. You know uh, my dad struggled with alcoholism. He was a functional alcoholic. Sounds a lot like yours. Yeah. You know, kept yeah. a job, paid the bills, you know, always had something to eat, you know. Yep. So I, I don't really know the background, but we kept everything hidden, all the problems we never talked about. You know, um, I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse, a friend of the family uh, when I was in the sixth grade, never talked about it. You wow. know, Now, it became apparent that something had gone on, but we didn't really talk about those things. We didn't talk about the fights that would happen. Between mom and dad, you know, because of his drinking, things like that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, just learn to keep things under wrap and never talk about it. And that, my friends, I'm telling you, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. If you do not have somewhere, someone you can openly share what's happened in your life and the hurts and habits and hangups you felt, then it's going to only get worse. Yeah. It's, I remember the first time my brother and I, my younger brother and I, I ever had a conversation about my dad's drinking. I had finally come to the point where I realized he was probably an alcoholic. This is when I was, you know, in my late 20s, I'm going through some counseling because of depression and things like that. And um, I remember uh, he was at work at a music store in Lexington, and I went to see him, and it was literally the first conversation I ever remember having about my dad's drinking. Wow. And, uh, you know, I am I think maybe I was 30 at the time. So, Jeff would have been about 25 or so. And uh, I remember walking over to him. He's out, you know, among the aisles of the music store. He taught guitar lessons, things like that. But but I'm telling him, hey, Jeff, I think Dad was an alcoholic, you know. And he's like, yeah, I think you're <laughs> it, right. I mean, it was like we yeah. were scared to death. Somebody was going to hear us. Yeah. We were whispering, you yep. know, literally, because we had never had that conversation. Yeah. No one, it was something, it was a family secret Mm -hmm. and you don't talk about it. Yeah. You know, and, and those are the things that um, really mess us up inside the most and make us long for something to ease the pain. Yeah. And if we can't talk about it, then what do we do? Well, we go find something. We numb it. That we we can numb it with something. Yeah. So we don't have to talk about it. Um, So, you know, that, that was a, a huge part of my recovery. Is just being able and like you I remember the same day sitting with my sponsor and sharing my inventory. Now, one thing in silver recovery, we encourage you to do in your inventory, is also to identify the things that are good. Yeah. That God has done for good in your life. Yeah. The the way He has created you in his image. And that's a difficult thing too, mm-hmm. to embrace that, that we are image bearers of God. And yet as broken as we are, he mm-hmm. wants to restore us. He wants to, to reclaim our lives, restore us to be those image bearers of his glory. Absolutely.
0: and And that, that's
1: an amazing thing, no matter and, what you've done.
0: Yeah. And going back to the prodigal, like he wants to put that robe on us. Yeah. He wants to put the ring, the, the shoes, like there is no, what we did no longer separates us from our family name
1: yeah. in the kingdom. And that's just... But you do know that the prodigal son, that parable has a very sad ending. It does, with the oldest brother.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And in the same way that the father sees the young son out living his wildlife, this addiction life that he's into, and the father runs to him and embraces him, he goes out to the older brother. Yeah. Because the father goes out to reach out to the older son, and he's just not with it. Yep. He's not about his recovery. He's done everything right. He's got it all together. And he's not going to celebrate this son coming home at all. Uh, I'll never forget a person I had in class. You would know him. You've oh, heard yeah. this story many oh, times yeah. before, who uh, wasn't a Christian. He was an agnostic yep. who was in my Christian beliefs class. Later, he became a Christian because he was involved in a group that you and Nathan had yeah. in um, your apartment there at Lindsay Wilson. But Eli was his first name. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, one day in class, I'm asking for observations in a Bible study about the prodigal son, and Eli raises his hand in the back, and I thought, "Oh, this is going to be interesting." Uh, agnostic <laughs> students got an Especially observation. Especially because it's Eli too, yeah, like, he's not well, just agnostic. Oh no, no. no. <laughs> I thought this is going to be great. I can't wait to hear this. And so I said, "Yeah, Eli, what, what, what's your observation?" And he said, "Well, you know, if that older brother really loved his father, he would have been out." Searching for his younger brother. And man, I was like, whoa. I even told him that day. I said, Eli, you might as well get saved, brother. Said, that didn't come to you from your thoughts. That came yeah. to you from God. You're probably going to be a preacher. You know? So you need to go ahead and get on that trail. Yeah. But yeah, just a powerful observation. And that's yeah. what we miss in the church.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: You know, in the church, we're so concerned in the typical church culture of America about those people. Yep. Yeah. You know, and that goes back to to when AA first started, you know, the Oxford group which was a group committed to making disciples of Jesus. They just didn't know what to do with drunks. Yeah. You know, um uh, Reverend Samuel Shoemaker, who was a Episcopal priest, was a part of that initial group that that uh, started AA. And he housed a a group of drunks in an apartment close to his church, and one of them who was resisting the recovery and resisting the faith goes out and throws a shoe through a stained glass window on the church, and so they break up the apartment. Wow! You know, they just didn't know what to do with them and how to handle them. And so Bill W., who was a Christian, a part of that Oxford group, you know, that had felt like they had to start something different. Yeah. You know? And um, but that that's that's the older brother. Yeah. You know? The older brother was yep. just as lost as mm-hmm. the younger brother, and the father goes out to him. And he doesn't respond yeah. you know, to the Father's invitation. And so in church, we've got to get over this idea that, that we're better some, somehow than people who drink, because we've, we've got people sitting in the pew all over the place, I guarantee you, that are struggling with things in their life, with addictions in their lives, and need recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, as far as uh, what we're going to be doing... um. Can we, you think you can memorize, have you memorized the eight principles? I haven't. Oh man, this is a, this is a Rick Warren tool who I think personally, and I love Rick Warren. He was a huge influence in my life and ministry, but he's got an acrostic addiction. He definitely does. I mean, everything is in an acrostic.
0: I do know the first two because I just preached on them.
1: Okay, let's hear, let's hear the R. Realize I'm not
0: God, that my life has become unmanageable. There's something in the middle of that that I'm missing. But realize. And then the second one is earnestly believe that I matter to God, that He cares for me, and that He wants to change my life, transform my okay, life. Okay, you're, you're all it's you're pretty close. Those, it's right? it's,
1: it's uh, realize I'm not God and that I'm powerless. Yes, powerless. Powerless to I control my tendency to do the wrong thing. And my life has is unmanageable. unmanageable. Yep. And then the E in recovery is to earnestly believe God exists and that yes. I matter to Him and that He has the power to help me recover. Exactly. And the C is to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Now, the reason I know those three so well is because I pray them every morning. That's awesome. That's a spiritual discipline of mine, you know, is every day. I mean, I know, man, Satan's not going to leave me alone. Absolutely. You know, And he's not going to try to invent some new flavor of sin to try to uh, bring me down. He's coming with the same stuff, you know, the stuff of my addictions, the stuff of my Hurts, habits, and hangups. He's going to bring them back all the time. And so I I start out in my prayer time in the morning, God, thank you for this day. It's a beautiful day. It's a day you've made. I want to rejoice and be glad in it. But I first need to realize I'm not you. I'm not Mm -hmm. God. And I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing. But I believe you. I believe in you and that I matter to you. And that's the hardest part to get my mind around. Yeah. Why would I matter to God? As many times as I've blown it. Yep. But man, there's nothing you can do about grace but accept it. Yeah. I mean, or, or reject it. There's. It's there for you. Yeah. So realize I'm not God. Earnestly believe God exists, and then commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. Absolutely. So, um, what do you want to say in closing about CR? Yeah, I think. Uh... I, I think so if if
0: you're in the area, I definitely want to invite you to plug in and be a part of of this ministry that's that's changed my life and changed a lot of people's lives. Um, but also if you're not from around here, um, also find a place to plug in. even if there's no celebrate recoveries around you, find your people, find your Silas, find your your Barnabas, find uh, your Timothy, find those types of people um, and and know and hear from this that wherever you are. And regardless of what you're walking through, regardless of what you're feeling, you do matter to the Father. And the Father is powerful enough and He wants to help transform your life. He wants to bring you home. He wants to bring that healing. He wants to transform you into who He created you to be. And then I think the challenge for the church and the people who've been here in the pews for a long time is do not deny the Father's request to come in and feast at the banquet. Don't be the older brother, but be a part uh, of of the restoration of the family of the kingdom